We'll hear argument now in number 981856, Lila Jean Hill et al. v. Colorado. Mr. Seculo. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, the Colorado statute at issue here, 18-9-122, Section 3, converts protected speech into a crime. The statute, which can be found at page 64A and 65A of the petition appendix, the last two pages, imposes an eight-foot floating bubble zone around every person who passes within a 100-foot radius of every entrance door to every health care facility in the state of Colorado. Within that floating bubble zone, the statute criminalizes a knowing approach made for the purposes of engaging in constitutionally protected speech unless prior consent is obtained. The consent provision alone invalidates this statute. It makes the peaceful distribution of a leaflet, the display of a sign, and even specific oral communications in a traditional public forum a crime if prior consent is not obtained. The statute targets only constitutionally protected speech. There is no core of prescribable conduct which this statute reaches. The bubble zone, with its consent provision, attaches to every person who comes within a 100-foot radius of every health care facility in the state. Mr. Sekulow, am I correct in understanding that no speech, no words are prohibited, it's only distance? You can speak anything you want at an 8-foot distance. Uh, outside of the zone, there is no restriction on speech. It's but when in you, the, even in the zone, as long as you're 8 feet away, you can speak. Yes, but there, you have, there are two different zones here. There, the 8-foot bubble zone comes into existence when someone is within 100-foot uh, area radius of a health care facility. The bubble zone, which floats, attaches to every person who enters that specific uh, specific zone. So you, once you're in, within the 8-foot of someone, if you do not ask for consent, uh, you do not al- you're not allowed to speak. It's a crime. What, is it? what well, is it that, I mean, 8 feet, you're 16 feet away from me. 8 feet's about the distance to Mrs. Underwood here. What, what is it that she can't tell me? I, I think it's what, what speech is it difficult for anyone to make when you're about this eight feet, say, the distance between me and Justice Kennedy? Justice Breyer, I think it's the same issues that the Court dealt with in Schenck. The well, in Schenck, I, I suppose the problem was that uh, you couldn't — you didn't know where the bubble started. Uh, you, you — somebody walking along the sidewalk, uh, you carried the bubble with you. Uh, uh, they didn't know where they're supposed to be. Now, there's none of that problem here. Well, I think, I think there is, Justice Breyer. I think the, the bubble zone floats. There's no doubt about that. It attaches to everyone who is within — comes within the initial 100-foot area. That bubble zone floats. I mean, you, to, to, uh, unless you can That I thought the problem in the other case was that as the person walked along the sidewalk, People who were just standing in the sidewalk would have to get out of the way as the person carrying the bubble moved along. Here, anyone on the sidewalk simply stops. There's no problem. They can come within one feet. But if the woman wants to avoid that person, the person can't chase after her. This now, is that, am I right about that factually? I, I think that's incorrect, Justice right. Breyer. Right. And here's the reason why. The zone here does float. You are not allowed to enter that eight-foot zone unless there is prior consent. I, I'm sorry, I didn't, wasn't clear. I didn't say it didn't float. I said that a person standing on the sidewalk, as the woman approaches, if the person stands still, the person doesn't have to do anything, even if the woman comes within six inches. That's but if, in fact, the woman decides she doesn't want to go close to that person and walks around him, then he cannot chase her. Now, that's my understanding of how it worked physically. Is that right? That's correct if you're standing still and you're there first. And it, in that regard, it operates, the consent provision here operates exactly as the c- consent provision in Matson. In Matson, you could stand still. If you weren't there first, you could stand still. It prohibited a physical approach, which is exactly what this statute does here. This statute actually combines the floating zone of Shank with the no approach zone that the court prohibited in Matson. So if you're going to enter it within eight feet of a person, with, if you're not there first, in other words, if you stand still, Sure, you don't violate it, just like in Matson. But the consent provision alone in Matson invalidates that. not statute. like in Matson. In Matson, at least the court assumed they would have had to move out of the bubble. That's what I remember the Chief Justice's opinion said, I think. Actually, Justice Stevens, in Matson, the, the prohibition that was at issue in the injunction prohibited a physical approach. Well, didn't the Chief Justice's opinion interpret it as requiring the standby to move? 
not in Matson. In Shank, that was the concern of the floating oh, bubble zone. And in that, in that regard here, the concern was that the zone floats in Shank. It does here. I mean, while the person moves, you have to move with them unless you have consent. So, Justice Breyer, to say. My original question was this, and you may just require reminding me of what these other cases said. But if I'm standing still and uh, I, if people can approach me, uh, and then I'm about the distance that I am from Justice Kennedy. Yes. And there's a woman coming along. What is it, because she can walk around me, that I can't tell her? I think I, this is a speech case. What's the restriction on you, the speech? The, the display of a leaflet, the showing someone uh, written material. In, in Shank, we talked about Justice Barr. We talked about the displaying of a Bible. In Shank, this court, at page 377, stated, and I'll, I'll, I'll quote it exactly, that the concern of the floating bubble zone was that it prevented defendants, except for two sidewalk counselors, while they are tolerated within the targeted zone, from communicating a message from a normal conversational distance or handing a leaflet to people what entering. What was the distance, Mr. Sekulow, was more than eight feet? That's correct. It was 15 feet there. I, I don't think the difference between 15 feet and 8 feet uh, would make the constitutionality any different. The standard is still the same. You cannot display or hand out a leaflet, say, to someone 8 feet away without, again, asking for consent. It was in Shank, this Court said that the leafleting and commenting on matters of public concern are protected speech, especially on traditional but public the, but forum. But the distance must make some difference, Mr. Sekulow. Perhaps the difference between 8 feet and 15 doesn't. But if you got down to 3 feet, for example... It doesn't seem to me there's any message you can't communicate at a distance of three feet that, that the distance requirement would impede you. Well, interestingly, in this particular case, the statute does prohibit impeding, blocking, or crowding, Section 2, which is not challenged. And I don't think, just, uh, Mr. Chief Justice, that it's simply the location being two feet. You could be two feet next to someone, as I am with co-counsel, and, and not cause any impeding. You could be one, uh, five feet in front of somebody and block them. So I don't think it's necessarily just distance. It's location as well. And, and this is distribution it's of not liberty. just impeding. It's also intimidating. It's also threatening. I, I, I suppose you would acknowledge that, uh, what about two inches? I mean, you know, going nose to nose to someone's thrusting your, 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 your head right in their face. Uh, certainly that could be prohibited. That's intimidating behavior. Well, Justice Clear, this Court has recognized that when it comes to public debate, that it can be robust. I think if someone's two inches away from somebody and they're blocking access, they should be violating and, No, they're just two inches away and not blocking access. They just come up and thrust their, their, their face right in front of me, just like this. I, I don't, first, first of all, this would not buy, that action would not violate this statute because this statute, Section 3, does not prohibit simply an approach. It is an approach with speech, and it's the speech that is the violation. The way the statute works, and again, it's on page 64A and 65A of the petition appendix in its entirety. It states that no person shall knowingly approach another person within eight feet for the purpose, unless there's consent, for the purpose of displaying a, a leaflet, uh, ha- displaying signs, handing out a leaflet, or for engaging in specific oral communications, oral protests. You, I don't think you've answered the question. Supposing it said one foot, would that be bad, too? I think it suffers from the same constitutional problem. I don't, I, I don't think it's, okay. I, I, Justice Stevens, I don't think it's simply the location, because you could be six inches away from someone and not be blocking them at all. You could be three feet and block someone. About an eighth of an inch. An eighth of an inch. Justice Scalia, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't even want to give you I the really, eighth of an inch. You're trying to hold some very unreasonable territory. I, I, don't, I don't think so, because this is, this is speech on a public forum. And if you're blocking somebody, uh, that, that's a different but story. Spe- speech on a public forum. The traditional concept is, you know, there's somebody on a soapbox and a bunch of people gathered around them. Not that you're one-on-one with someone uh, an eighth of an inch away. I I think leafleting, Mr. Chief Justice, does uh, require close contact. When someone distributes a leaflet, uh, usually it's with a hand extended, which if you were, by the way, eight feet away from this particular uh, person you were approaching, you violate that well, bubble with, with And Abrams against the United States, they threw him out of a second-story window, the leaflet. <laughs> yes, and I, I, I take it when it landed on the streets, it would be, have been protected speech at that point. Well, uh, would you acknowledge, Mr. Sekulow, would you acknowledge — no, I gather you would not acknowledge that it would be reasonable to have such a law uh, which limited the bubble to a distance — which is inherently intimidating. You, you, just, you just don't acknowledge that there's any distance at which you can talk to somebody which is inherently intimidating. I think that the danger in that is, it, because it's so specific on facts and circumstances in the context of a statute like this, mm-hmm. that if the concern that's being addressed 
is access or blocking. The way to handle it, the State of Colorado did it, and that is Section 2. A person commits a Class 3 misdemeanor, it's the same offense, seven months in jail, if you obstruct, detain, hinder, or impede. I would take it if you're not obstructing, way. detaining, hindering. I'm just intimidating. I'm just, an, I'm just intimidating. What if I, my nose touched your nose? Oh, that, that would be okay, even though I'm no, It probably would be an assault at that point. Uh, well, <laughs> what makes that okay? But under the what statute. What makes that okay? Uh, uh, because of speech activity. This, and interestingly, under your example, if you came up to someone or a, a protester came up to someone and engaged in very intimidating uh, facial expressions and, and made very intimidating gestures, they don't violate this statute. But the petitioner here, Jeannie Hill, if she goes and approaches someone to hand them a leaflet or to engage in quiet conversation or counseling, she violates the statute. So the intimidating conduct does not violate the statute. The petitioner handing out a leaflet. No, but you, you certainly can convey anything you want to convey orally from a distance of eight feet. It's just not difficult. You can speak in a normal conversational tone and be heard fully. And to distribute a leaflet, it doesn't matter if you're six inches away or eight feet away. The person receiving it, in order to receive it, has to accept it. And That's correct. So this isn't some but unusual provision. I, I think you, you, don't, you don't say that a person must accept the leaflet. No, they have absolutely they no. do not have an obligation to accept it. But I think what, Your Honor, Justice O'Connor, what you wrote in Coquinda, and that is uh, people that live in metropolitan areas know that one need p not ponder the contents of a leaflet to mechanically take it out of someone's hand, or for that matter, to reject it. But it's that mechanical taking out of someone's hand. Traditional leafleting on public sidewalks is the kind of situation where someone is out there approaching people, people will come up and take it. Eight feet away is the same prohibition. Well, restriction if the person to whom it's offered wants to take it under this statute, they can and will. I mean, it's and, the just, same, and it would be the same if it were one foot or eight feet. And it was the same argument could have been and was made in Shank. And this Court said there 15 feet was still a problem because the zone floats. And it does, Justice Breyer. Mr. Sekulow, on, on that, I understood you to answer Justice Breyer's question by saying that the stationary speaker, so-called, uh, could not even station in, in a stationary position uh, offer leaflets without violating this statute. It, did I understand you correctly? If you're standing still and you're in within that eight-foot zone before someone else, I'm standing still and somebody gets approaches eight you. Feet. It's it, that's correct. That's not a problem. It's exactly the situation. So I can say to that person, "Will you take a leaflet, or just you hold the leaflet out?" No, if you're there no problem. First. Pardon me? It's, if you're there, you're there first. first and you're stationary. Absolutely. You okay. and, that, and that operates exactly, Justice Souter, as the no approach zone in Madison. Now, why then, being that, if that's the case, what's exactly the problem? I'm not just saying another case. I'm trying to understand what the problem is. I'm standing here. I plunk myself down on the sidewalk in front of the abortion clinic. Anyone who's walking into that abortion clinic has to pass me and I simply hold out the leaflet. Now, if a woman wants the leaflet, she'll take it. But if she walks around me, now, she doesn't want it. So what's the problem if I can stand still, hand it out just like this, and she'd have to walk around in order to avoid taking it? But she's free to walk around under this statute. What's the problem? The problem is the assumption, Justice Breyer, that you're operating under is that you got there first. And if you got there first you, and you stand still and someone approaches you uh, and you're not blocking them, of course, the, the, the dichotomy of all this is if you're standing still, you may well be blocking. Generally, protest activities, distribution of literature, speech, in, in the robust debate, people are moving. But if you're standing still and you're there first, it's not a violation. But in Matson, this Court dealt with exactly the same situation. It was a no-approach zone, no physical approaches. If you were there first, if you were standing still, it wasn't a violation. And the Court in Matson said that the consent provision alone invalidated the provision of the injunction in Matson. The same should apply here, especially since you have the combination of the floating zone in Shank. It does float. If you're not there first, Justice Breyer, it does float. And it floats. You have to stay unless you have obtained consent. You have to maintain that eight-foot distance. And I think the showing someone a Bible verse, the display of a sign, uh, all of that type of activity, which is more intimate in its communication. Oh, how practically. I mean, it's not as if this were a parade, uh, you know, people marching uh, in the double file to get into the clinic. 
where the question of whether you got there first might be very important. I mean, certainly uh, there are times when no one is coming to the plant. There, a person has a perfect opportunity to get there first. That's right, if they got there before the event opened. But this statute, which is not limited to abortion facilities, which has the floating bubble zone apply to everyone in that 100-foot zone. Mr. Secretary, it's not just, yes. may, may I just ask kind of a general question? And I think it was the Heffron case that the court made a reference to the importance of getting access to the willing listener and the willing recipient. Now, I think you'd probably agree that this ordinance doesn't really restrict your ability to communicate with a woman who wants to receive your message. It really does pose some limit on the leafleting to a woman who presumably doesn't want the leaflet. Well, to anyone who doesn't want the leaflet. It's not as limited well, I to seeking access but, to or egress from the but clinic. So, so you, you have to it's, — it, there's kind of a dilemma, it seems to me. You either have to assume that, the, that you have a right to make the unwilling listener take the leaflet, which doesn't seem to really well, work in the real world. You don't have the uh, — you, you can't require someone to take leaflet, leaflet but I think Heffron is but, a good but, example. But you do have a constitutional right to give her an opportunity, if she's a willing recipient, either the doctor or the — to have that. And doesn't she have that opportunity, assuming it's a willing person interested in the, in the leaflet? If there's if consent's given, there's no violation of the statute. It's the requirement of consent, we think, which caused the problem. In Heffron, that, which was interesting, of course, the Court said it was not a traditional public forum. The sidewalks in front of these uh, medical health care facilities, which could even be an ophthalmologist's office, the way the statute's written, uh, has a provision in there that it's very specific. If you enter that eight-foot zone, you have to obtain consent. In Heffron, the Court found it not to be a traditional public forum and said — See, what I'm trying to suggest is that you have to be a willing listener if you're in the eight-foot zone. And it seems to me if you're not a willing listener, you're not going to take the leaflet anyway. It's, it's not simply leafleting. And I think it's the, also the oral communication. Well, I'm just concentrating on the leafleting now because it seems to me that's your strongest argument. Well, the, the, leaf, the way the leafleting works is usually in a, in a leafleting situation, people are close, closer than eight feet. They're not asking, may I — you know, this statute turns every literature distribution into a solicitation because you have to ask consent before you approach. And interestingly, in Heffron, the Court stated that, while finding it not to be a public forum, that, in fact, they did allow one-on-one face-to-face communications to go on throughout the state fair without any restrictions. Mr. That's Secular, absolutely here. Yes. In Madsen, we said that an injunction would be judged by a more stringent standard than a statute. And here, of course, we, we have a statute, not an injunction. Sure. Uh, for, and yet you frequently referred to Madsen as if the things were interchangeable. Well, in this context, uh, n- number one, our position is that this is a content-based prohibition on speech, so it would be a higher standard than the Madsen standard would be strict scrutiny because of the specific limitations on oral communications that constitute protest, education, or counsel. And also, this Court Why in you Madsen — talk about that one? You've been just talking about uh, your point that uh, the mere — the mere consent requirement invalidates it. You also contend that this is a a content-based restriction. How how is that so? Absolutely. The prohibition here, as specifically on the face of the statute, Section 3, uh, requires consent if you're going to engage in specific oral communication, protest, education, or counsel. A prosecutor who is bringing a criminal accusation for a violation of Section 3 would have to establish, through the presentation of evidence, what exactly was said to determine if, in fact, it constitutes protest, education, can or you, counsel? Can you tell me, suppose someone wanted to encourage uh, a, a, a patient to get a particular procedure, w- would that be barred by the statute? That, that's interesting. We, we have thought about that. And uh, if it constitutes a form of protest, education, or counsel, it would. It's, it's not protest. It's, 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 it's encouraging, encouraging the person. Oh, it, it, I think that that would not. But I think the state, if they were making an accusation, would probably say, they would argue that it may constitute a form of counseling, got offering of guidance, uh, the way they've, they've drafted this. But what is interesting here in that exact type of scenario, if a news reporter, let's say there was a protest going on at a particular health care facility, and a news reporter entered the 100-foot radius and then was going to approach someone, did not ask for consent, and ask a general question. How do you feel? <laughs> How do you feel? What do you think about health care in America today? Probably not counsel, education, or protest. If that same news reporter were to approach a person, again without consent, and say something like, Congress is considering changes to the health care laws in the United States, allowing for private lawsuits against HMO carriers, what do you think? That's education. And that would be a violation of this statute. Well, but which is it? I mean, I, I grant you, it's, you may not have a good answer to this, because I have a hard time with the cases on this one. But uh, it seems to me if, they, if the state uh, tries to write a, uh, one that 
covers more than just abortion clinics and uh, tries to uh, uh, go beyond, just as you've said. You say, well, this is terrible. It, it gets innocent things, like what time is it? You know. But then if they try to uh, be more narrow, you say, well, it's too, it's too, uh, it's too broad. It's too narrow. You didn't, I mean, either they didn't narrowly tailor it. Which I think they did not. Or, or <laughs> if they do narrowly tailor it, uh, it's uh, content discrimination. And, and so, so, so whenever the state would try to regulate anything, they'd fall into the one or the other. Justice Breyer, I don't think so. The state has argued that they're in the proverbial catch-22. They've drafted a statute that we argue is overbroad and one that is content-based. Do you know of any precedent which uh, defines narrow tailoring uh, by whether or not it's content-based? I I think looking at — no, because the the, the most realistic narrow tailoring case that fits this, the Court found it to be content-neutral, which was United States versus Great. There's never been a statute, though, written like this. Mr. Sackalow, I was reading your brief closely and trying to envision the statute that would be constitutional. The Chief has reminded you that the Court has held that the statute, which is passed when you don't know who the particular people are, uh, requires less rigid review. So reading, reading your brief, I had the impression that no statute other than the one that bars obstruction would do in your judgment, that you could not have uh, a statute like Madsen or Shank had an injunction. You simply couldn't. I, I think that's, that's a correct uh, position. That, that's the position we're asserting. And the reason, uh, Justice Ginsburg, that that's our position is that this is speech on a public sidewalk. And it does apply. It's a statute. And I think the difficulty is, and far be it for me to draft Colorado's wait, statute. Wait, go, go back for a second, because uh, certainly you would agree that you can write legislation in terms of categories like advertising or lawyer solicitation, counseling. I mean, those aren't all unconstitutional, are they? Well, the way Colorado is drafted it, I think it is. No, no, but I mean, to to talk about a category called advertising is okay, isn't it? Our cases are filled with that. Commercial speech uh, would be — That isn't content-based because you treat advertising differently from — it, All right. So, although it does bring up an interesting scenario here, Justice Breyer, and that is the way that this statute works. Let's say someone talking about advertising, to take your example. If uh, someone was handing out discount p- pizza coupons on a public sidewalk in fr- front of Denver General Hospital and failed to ask for consent before they approached someone to distribute them the free discount coupon, they violate this statute. That's how broad the statute's written. Well, but you, you argue, uh, my colleagues have made you argue on one end the statute is too broad and on the other hand it's too narrow. I mean, that's like the old arguments we used to get here about uh, the Establishment Clause. If, if, if the uh, state tried to regulate the expenditure of funds for parochial schools, then it was said to be too much entangled. And there was, under that line of thing, there was no, nothing the state could do. Are you saying, in effect, that the state can't draft a statute, any kind of a statute, to cover what it conceives to be this problem here? No, I think the state can. And, and well, Mr. Well, Chief Justice, go ahead. What I would what I would have drafted if I was the the state here. You were the state. Yes, but I'm not. <laughs> is a That's statute. Why you should that, use the subjunctive. Yes, and uh, in the in this particular case, the state's concerns, the asserted interests here, are to prevent intimidation, crowding, and threatening conduct. This statute does not do that. They need to draft a statute that targets the precise concerns. They have that statute. They have. Section 2. Yes, and I asked you before, and you, I thought, were quite candid in saying that's all they can do. I think that's. Section 2, and there's no other statute that would satisfy your test. I could not go beyond Because Section 2 would satisfy my test, Justice Ginsburg. Yes, but I asked you if there was any statute that tried to replicate the controls that the injunctions that we have permitted? I don't think so. And let me clarify my position and the reason why. I don't think so because in Matson and in Shank, despite the somewhat more rigorous standard that was given there, in Matson and in Shank, the concern over leafleting and uh, uninvited approaches, even if they're peaceful, being prohibited, the Matson concern, the Shank concern about literature distribution, both of those cases dealt with that the Court relied on, Booz versus Berry, in, in Matson and Booz versus Berry and United States versus Grace in Shank were both statutory cases. Uh, those were not injunction cases, and it was the concern of literature distribution and, and one-on-one advocacy. But that was as I remember, Booz at least, that was a one viewpoint. You couldn't pick it against 
the embassy, but you could no, — no, there was no prohibition on doing something in favor of. And here, the statute is written in neutral terms. It says you can't counsel about either side. The, and this can't court — can't educate about either side. Justice Ginsburg, the court, this Court, uh, in Matson and Schenck, in dealing with the issues, said that the injunctions were content neutral. Well, this — this — this um, — statute makes me think, in a way, of the City of Renton case, where the concern was the secondary effects of the conduct. It was First Amendment activity, the adult theater. But there were secondary effects being addressed. And maybe that's the situation here, that the the state doesn't care on which side of the message it is, but is concerned about the secondary effects of intimidation, intimidating conduct, near a medical facility. If that's if, based on your question and, and comment, yeah. Justice O'Connor, they need to draft a statute that prohibits intimidation, crowding, or violence, which I think, or threatening conduct, which I think they did in Section 2. But we, this t- isn't we, t- we take the case, I think, on the assumption that Colorado has tried to do that and cannot enforce it if they're crowds. The problem here is crowds. And so what they want to do is to have a, a, a zone where we know who is coming up to push or pinch or shove. And that's all they're trying to do. Is, is, they, is, that a, is that a fair assessment of what the purpose of the statute was? Maybe they failed. Maybe they, maybe they succeeded. I think they set the purpose out of the statute in Section 1, which states that the General Assembly recognizes access to health care facilities for the purposes of obtaining medical counsel uh, and treatment that's imperative for citizens, that the exercise of a person's right to protest or counsel against certain medical procedures must be balanced against another person's right to obtain medical counseling. To me, that points very closely. Mr. Sackler, can I ask you, I'm really seeking information here on, on your position. I thought there was some tension between your quoting the engaging in oral protest education or counseling as being content based and not uh, viewpoint neutral on the one hand and saying that those words would cover the delivery of a pizza solicitation. The pizza solicitation would be the distribution of literature prohibition, which applies to all literature distribution. I so see. That is not, that, that not content-based. We, we think it's content-based in the standpoint that it provides an opportunity for, because of the prior consent requirement, to allow for content-based determinations. But the distribution of literature prohibition is because of the prohibition of literature. Mr. Chief Justice, I'd like to reserve the remainder of my time for a Very well, Mr. Sekulow. Uh, Mr. McLaughlin, we'll hear from you. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice. May it please the Court. The Colorado Legislature acted to protect sick, disabled, and vulnerable people on their way to and from its hospitals and doctor's offices. And it designed the statute to keep our — Excuse me. Just sick, disabled, or vulnerable people? That's what I said, Your Honor. It only protects those people? No. The statute was designed to protect medical patients who are often sick, disabled and who are vulnerable. But it doesn't cover just medical patients. How many what, — what percentage of the people going in and out of, of, of these facilities do you think are sick uh, — what was sick, vulnerable, and, and whatnot? I mean, no, Your Honor. That's it, a very small percentage of the, of the universe covered by this thing, isn't it? Your Honor, the this, this statute covers all persons with 100 persons. feet of a medical facility. Yeah. And a, a great percentage of those people are, are either treating individuals who are sick and uh, vulnerable and disabled or persons who are uh, seeking treatment from these Well, in, in that respect, how does this statute work? Suppose there's a seven-story building, uh, and on the sixth floor there are doctor's offices. On, on the, all of the other floors, uh, there are other businesses. Uh, I take it this statute operates with respect to anyone who engages in the prohibited activity outside the main entrance to the building? The statute operates uh, to the extent that it is covered a public sidewalk or a public way. And so if there's a 20-story building, so story of any type, it would be the entrance to the building uh, which contain the medical so, facility no, and the public. So with respect away. to all of the businesses in those buildings, the, the, the press, uh, uh, lawyers, business people, people engaged in uh, 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 manufacturing that might affect the environment, this statute happens to apply just because there's a doctor's office there. Isn't that right? No, because, yes, because there's an entrance. It, to the it seems to me that that's, that that's whimsical and imprecise and inconsistent with our speech precedents. Your Honor, it was, it's narrowly designed to affect only the 100 feet within a medical facility. But or we, a we've just discussed a hypothetical in which it is not. 
Well, if a doctor's office is contained within a, uh, a private building, the statute would not be operative because it doesn't involve a public way or a public sidewalk. The statute requires. I, 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 my hypothesis is a private building that uh, has an entry off a public sidewalk. That's which correct. I assume that, most buildings do. That's correct, Your Honor. That would operate in those circumstances to the extent that it involves 100 foot of the entrance and a public sidewalk. And also, the, uh, I don't think, uh, as, a, as ordinary course, Your Honor, uh, that we would have a situation where persons would be protesting within the building. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't pick this up in the brief. So uh, what is the definition of a medical facility if you have the, uh, the Russell building, which is 20 floors high, and on floor 18 there's a doctor, uh, and on all the other floors it's a lawyer? Is the whole Russell building a medical facility under this statute? I mean, if, that, if that's the problem with this, I'm surprised that I didn't pick it up in the brief. The statute uses the term, Justice Breyer, of health care facility. And it states that a health care facility means any entity that is licensed, certified, or otherwise authorized or permitted by law to administer medical treatment in this state. So I guess that, that floor 18 or, or has office number 1806 is the office medical facility. Is the whole building a medical facility? Uh, no, Your Honor, it would not be. It's only as to the entrance of that me- medical facility. Right. So, right. so the crucial is provision is the, entrance pr- is the entrance provision. How does that read? To what does the 100-foot restriction apply? The provision within states — Within 100 Your feet Honor, of what? Within 100 feet of a medical facility, of the entrance to a medical Of facility. the entrance to a medical facility. Now, do, do you consider that to be the entrance to the building and not the entrance to the — to the office in which the in, — in a large building, the medical facility is uh, contained? Your Honor, the statute only operates within 100 feet of a med- 100 feet of a med- entrance to a medical facility and on a public sidewalk. Now, so Mr. On the- Mr. McLaughlin, uh, in Section 2 on page 65A, it uses the term health care facility. You've said medical facility. Is that the word used somewhere else, or is that just a synonym for health care facility? I believe they're synonymous, Your Honor. And I, I read the narrow statutory definition of health care facility, which is in the statute. I, where, I where, where were you reading from? I was uh, looking, uh, Your Honor, the best uh, location of the statute is appendix to the Solicitor General's brief, where the entire statute is set out verbatim. But is, am I, I mean, where, where does this issue that Justice Kennedy just raised fit in this case? That the reason that it's too broad is it would cover uh, offices that are located within some large downtown office building that don't have doctors in it. Now, has that uh, suddenly? What's your what's what's the reaction to that issue in the context of it? Your Honor, it's narrowly drawn because the statute only operates in conjunction with entrance to a medical facility and a public sideway or, or a walkway. So I, I don't want to distract the Court on an issue that wasn't brief, but it, it seems to me that this is troublesome, and I would read the statute, and I, thought, and I think that's your answer, that it applies uh, to anybody on the, on the sidewalk of that building. But the, the point, the reason I brought it up at the point that I did was it indicates uh, that your opening statement, which is that this is for the, for the vulnerable and the sick, uh, it, it's not a ground on which we can sustain the statute. This, the statute, uh, th- th- there's, there's nothing in the record that says that a high percentage of these people uh, that, that are on these sidewalks uh, fit that category. I, I think you have to make a different argument to sustain this statute. Your Honor, the statute is predicated upon the finding by the Colorado Legislature that it is imperative to protect access to health care facilities and that the relationship between that, that uh, location and a public sidewalk is the object of the, of the regulation. Those two operating together are the circumstances m- to which it would apply. Mr. McLaughlin, now, as I recall, in Madsen, it was a freestanding clinic. You know, we had diagrams and so forth. And the, the clinic was the only operation in, in the building. In Justice Kennedy's hypothesis, you're really, you're curtailing a lot of other uh, activity that would otherwise take place that may be not at all related to the health care facility. Well, Your Honor, again, because the statute only operates as to a public sidewalk uh, or or way, public way, uh, I think as a practical matter, the statute operates outside the facility uh, within within But that's that's, that's the whole point. There are all kinds of people with all kinds of views and all kinds of messages and all kinds of purposes on a public sidewalk. That's correct, Your Honor. Well, Mr. Mr. McLaughlin, I thought a moment ago your answer to the 18-story building hypothesis was that the medical facility was the office up on whatever it was, the 16th floor. It was not the whole building. 
That's correct, Your Honor. All right. Now, the in entrance is located in conjunction with the public sidewalk and the public way. So that if there is one doctor's office on the 16th floor, the whole sidewalk and entrance uh, is subject to this stat regulation by this statute as if the entire building were filled with doctor's offices? No, not as if, Your Honor. It would, it would constitute an entrance to the health care facility if the building — No, but you're in. saying that if there's a doctor's office on any floor of the skyscraper, that the entrance and the sidewalk is subject to regulation under this statute. That's correct, Your Honor. Mr. McLaughlin, ask if any Colorado no judge or anybody in the legislature ever discussed this hypothetical. No, Your Honor. And it's not for you to say it's for the Colorado Supreme Court to answer that hypothetical, and they have not, have they? That's correct, Your Honor. That hypothetical has not been discussed by the legislature, well, nor but, has been discussed but by if, the court. if you're talking about a statute that abridges freedom of speech or is alleged to, it, it can't be vague. I mean, well, we've, got, we've got to be able to tell from reading the statute just where it applies. Now, you've given, a, given an interpretation, and we've often accepted the statement of the State Solicitor General in the absence of any uh, decision from, from a Colorado court on the subject. Thank you, Your Honor. Is that the case that you want us to do, that we, we now accept as they turn this case on your uh, interpretation of a matter that hasn't come up before, I gather, uh, and that you're saying officially uh, in your role as uh, a representative of the State that it does apply to an 18-story office building on the, on the sidewalk uh, uh, where there's nobody but one doctor up on the 18th floor and stops everybody else from speaking about anything? I'm not — I'm not asking that the Court accept my interpretation. I'm simply pointing out that the Colorado Supreme Court has not looked at this issue, but that the Colorado Supreme Court has reviewed the statute otherwise and has upheld it. Well, has the statute you ever been you don't applied? Want us to accept the opposite interpretation either, do you? Do, do, are you willing to say that it does not apply to the, uh, to the entrance of a facility where there's a doctor's office on the 16th floor? I think it does apply. You think in it does? In conjunction, if, it, if it's in connection with a public way and a public sidewalk. You think it does, and although you're not willing, you're not willing to say authoritatively that it does? No, I, I, Excuse me, Your Honor, I, I, I didn't mean to use the word in a haphazard fashion. I, there's no question in, in the position of the State of Colorado that it, that it applies to the entrance of the health care facility in connection with a public sidewalk or a public way. And that is so even if the health care facility on the 18th floor is more than 100 feet away from the sidewalk? Vertically. Yeah. That's correct, Your Honor, because the focus of the statute is with 100 feet of the entrance. Uh, has the statute ever been applied in the fashion uh, you, you maintain uh, it would apply? Has there ever been a prosecution? Uh, no, Your Honor, as we point out in our brief, uh, the there's never no. been a prosecution under this statute. The statute for anybody. has never been enjoined. There's never been a civil complaint for damages, nor has there been a criminal complaint filed pursuant to the statute. But, but even well, in the case never been an abortion protest outside the Empire State Building either. That's correct, Your Honor. We don't also have the Empire State Building in Colorado. <laughs> is, is, excuse me. Is this statute just addressed to abortion protests? Is 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 that? To the contrary, Your Honor. It covers I didn't all. Think it was all conduct uh, of, of the subject matter of the statute, which occurs within a hundred feet of a health care facility. It'd be bad if it was addressed just to abortion protests, wouldn't it? I'm Absolutely, Your Honor. It would violate content neutrality. Uh, so, so it applies to labor picketing. It would apply to labor picketing under the circumstances present in this case if you were within 100 So a labor organization has a different rule if it's in front of a health facility than it's if it's in front of a manufacturing plant? That's correct, Your Honor. And that's, is that content-based? No, Your Honor, it's not, because, it, again, the, the purpose of the statute and the scope of the statute is to govern all all forms but of But I suppose the NLRB, if it uh, turned out to be a labor problem, could preempt any effect of Colorado's state law in respect to the labor unions, couldn't it? That, that may well be the result, Justice Breyer, that the operation of the federal law would, would affect the statute that way. Uh, what? Except in the labor law, we said there are different rules apply to medical facilities and apply to other facilities. That's correct, Your Honor. In the, and in those cases, the Court recognized that the, that the patients are entitled to consideration under the, under the rule and that, in this particular case, our statute is also designed to protect the patients. I'm curious. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure there, there, there has been violence in, in some abortion protests. 
are you aware that there's been more violence in that context than in labor picketing, for example? I mean, the, 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 number, the number of people killed or the number of people intimidated in labor protests uh, annually, do you think it's uh, — I'm not aware of that, Your Honor. I am aware that — I'm just wondering why, you know, why this is a, a great — this particular uh, area is of, is of great concern to the uh, — I don't know, people going into supermarkets uh, that are being picketed, are they, uh, are they any less, what, vulnerable? And uh, I don't forget what your other adjectives were. It's curious that this need to protect uh, the innocent and vulnerable from, from being approached is, uh, is felt only in this one, one area. Your Honor, the Colorado Legislature, in its review of the statute, first of all, uh, we've never employed the term innocent. We've simply determined that they are ill, that they are vulnerable, and that they are, are as medical patients, entitled to consideration under I, the statute. I, I just wonder whether the statute is, is you know, although facially uh, uh, applicable to anybody who, who approaches uh, this kind of facility, I think, I think we know what it's aimed at which is abortion protests. And I just wonder what justification there is for singling them out as being particularly uh, intimidating as opposed to, let's say, labor picketing. Your Honor, what the statute singles out and what the statute focuses upon is the approach in a, in a circumstance which can arise and become, as this Court recognized in, in the Schenck case, a constructive obstruction. In you, other could words, at, you could at least apply this rationale that you're defending here, you, you acknowledge that it could be applied to labor picketing if, if you had a similar finding by the legislature that labor picketing can be intimidating. Uh, you could require all labor pickets to, uh, within 100 feet of whatever they're picketing, to stay uh, eight feet away from people. I think the reason this has a different uh, under, under uh, support than labor picketing is because it focuses solely on people within 100 feet of a health care facility. No, I understand, but — And that these people are entitled to special protection as found by our legislature. And it would apply to labor people who were trying to educate the public about a labor union matter, people who were objecting to the facility charging too much money, people who were objecting to the facility's use of animals and experimenting. They would all come under the same rules. That is correct, Your Honor. That is correct. It, it would apply. Would it applies you? to both sides or all the multiple sides of the debate because it is a constant interest. Would, would you tell us uh, what this portion of the statute accomplishes that subsection 2 does not? Subsection 2 only deals with, in our, in our view, physical uh, contact between persons. Well, it, it, it deals with knowingly obstructing, detaining, impeding, and so forth. Now, uh, it's, it's hard for me to know what this covers that that wouldn't also cover. But this covers by the establishment uh, of the eight-foot zone of separation is it uh, allows a normal conversation to occur. It is a speech uh, uh, inducing, it's a speech allowing, it's a speech permitting, it's a speech endorsement. And that is, uh, that is what this statute allows that the other statute doesn't address. This, but we, the other we, statute just deals with physical, co physical contact and, and physical uh, obstruction without, without regard to the proximity between the, the willing listener we, and we, we the We don't the ordinarily think that to, to be able to speak, you have to have state authorization or permission to speak. The, the, the view is almost the contrary, that you, you can speak unless, unless there's a valid prohibition against speech. That's correct, Your Honor. And I think it's important for us to point out again in front of this Court that from eight feet away, all forms of expression, irrespective of their content, are, are encouraged, allowed, and permitted under the statute. Well, you, you could say that from, from 100 feet if you use a, you know, a bullhorn, but, but, but you, you can't — what the — what — these abortion protesters, which is what this is directed at, uh, generally do, is, is, is like to say, you know, my dear, have you really considered the consequences? Are you going to shout this? My dear, have you really considered? It's, it's a totally different, it's a totally different uh, enterprise when, when, when you do it from eight feet away. You can't really seriously say that there's no difference between approaching someone quietly, confidentially, and speaking in, in that kind of a manner and shouting whatever you want to do from eight feet away. You, you really assert that there's no difference? 
Not eight feet is a normal conversational tone. It is. Yes, it is, Your Honor. In My fact, goodness, I, I barely stand eight feet away from somebody that I'm talking to. I don't stand an eighth of an inch, and, and if that's what the distance was, I, I'd have no problem here. But eight feet? I that's understand, a, Your Honor, a, but everybody that you communicate with is a willing listener. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I don't think so sure. <laughs> <laughs> but... But don't if I may, Your Honor. Sure. Don't be too sure. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> but if I may, Your Honor, eight feet is the precise distance. On an earlier occasion, we were permitted by the marshal to measure the distances in this courtroom. And eight feet is the distance from this podium to the edge of the court where the Chief Justice sits. Well, why isn't this a content-based statute if what it does is foreclose discussion of all the issues Justice Ginsburg was mentioning with relation to the health care system? I'm sorry, if, Your Honor. Why isn't this content-based? Because it has imposes a special burden on people who want to discuss issues, all of the ones Justice Ginsburg raised and more, uh, HMO costs, etc., with reference to the health system. It's not content-based because it allows it takes no side on the debate. It, it, it allow it, it simply designates. It forecloses all debate on that subject. All all debate on, on the no subject. No, well, on the subject of health care. That's the whole justification for the statute or how the health care facilities are being operated. Again, within the 100, 100 foot from an entrance of a facility, it allows completely robust, un, uninhibited debate on all topics, and it allows it if You're saying a statute is not content-based if it forecloses discussions of both sides of, of a particular subject. It doesn't foreclose That's not discussions, my Your Honor. All okay. discussions can occur from eight feet, and if the, if the listener is willing to allow a, a person to approach uh, and again, one of the reasons for the eight feet is a very common sense. A protest thing. over the death penalty, as well as something to do with health care, wouldn't it? W w would this statute apply to somebody who wants to speak about the death penalty? If it, yes, yes. It so would. I mean, it not only point of view, but it also a wide range of subject matter can be uh, spoken in, in this kind of activity. That's correct, Your Honor. If it meets the statutory definition or protest education. If you're interested in health care issues, do you go to a health care facility or to the zoo? Um, I think probably you would go to your insurance carrier if you have one, and, or you would go to your doctor, and you would want to make sure that you would have access to your doctor because you, this Colorado legislature has provided that you will have that access through the operation of the statute. Why, why wouldn't it suffice for the concerns of the state here to, to prohibit any intimidating approach? by speech or otherwise. I mean, what the state has prohibited here is speech. It's the only thing that is prohibited is speech, not intimidation, not approaching. Why wouldn't prohibiting an intimidating approach suffice? Again, Your Honor, it's our position that there is no a prohibition. There is simply a minimal restriction, a minimal burden within side of the eight feet. Thank you, Mr. McLaughlin. Uh, Ms. Underwood, we'll hear from you. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. Um, under this statute, petitioners are free to say and to show anything they want to people near a health care facility. They can shout or they can talk in normal tones. They can offer literature and hold up signs and pictures that can be seen by their target audience. They can station themselves where the patients will have to pass by much closer than eight feet. They just can't move toward the target without consent once the distance between them is eight feet or less. Ms. If, if that is so reasonable, I assume it, it could apply, could be applied to normal labor picketing at any facility. I mean, it's so reasonable. You can say whatever you want. You can — you think it would be constitutional applied to normal labor picketing? No, not a general — not, not a general not? statute like — well, Colorado — was responding to a particular need. If the same need existed, which is oh, not — There's violence in — you're unaware that there, that there have occurred instances of violence and intimidation in labor picketing? Well, the Court so has — So make the same finding they have here and say all, all picketing, uh, you know, we, we apply generally to, to all no, commercial I, establishments. Colorado hasn't made that finding that — I don't think that finding would be supported. And we do expect we have a tradition of uh, uh, people being uh, — of rather more robust activity. So there is some problem about, about not letting somebody come closer than eight feet. 
You're, you're not willing. There is a First Amendment issue. I don't think there's a problem no, with this real. statute. Well, so you're, you're saying, Ms. Underwood, that, you know, s- uh, supposing it will Colorado on the basis of things that happened out there in the early 20th century, read Moyer against Peabody if you want to find out about it, and that there is violence in labor picketing, we're going to impose the same regulation. You say that would be judged by a different standard or that, no. it, will, that it, it would fail whereas this would succeed? That that's a very strange no, position. I, no, what I meant to say was that um, uh, if, if exactly the same findings and exactly the same need were found, then the same statute would be upheld. Well, but it in, might or might, wouldn't it be or, up to the Labor Board in the Labor case? The constitutional issue has to presuppose that the Labor Board made findings like Colorado and then as a labor law matter laid it down, and the question would be, is that unconstitutional if the Labor Board did it? Is that right? That's right. Well, why, why do you say that's right in this very peripheral discussion? I mean, let, let's suppose in Colorado passes a statute affecting labor picking this same way, and it is simply challenged on a First Amendment basis. The, the Labor Board doesn't even get into it. I take it that the answer you gave to my question is, is the correct one. Um, if Colorado made findings that um, that there was a problem of violence and intimidation that arose out of one-to-one close, close approaches of the sort here and that was not capable of being dealt with in any other way as Colorado had tried to do here and that a statute like this was the least restrictive or at least the mo- uh, uh, was the most appropriate way of dealing with the problem, then such a statute would be upheld. There is no such finding. And is it necessary that there be hearings and findings in order to sustain a statute like this? Um, it is necessary that the judgment that be supported. This Court reviews the judgments of legislatures with some deference when a factual matter is concerned, and hearings and findings are helpful, but the court has never prescribed a particular method for. Uh, for, what for is there? There is federal legislation. Is there not a yes. federal freedom of access to clinic entrances act? Yes, there is. And um, how does that differ from this? And was that factored into the? Hearings and the findings, the effect of that federal act. Well, this statute was passed before the Federal Access mm-hmm. to Clinics Act was passed, mm-hmm. um, about a year before. Mm-hmm. Under the Federal Access to Clinics Act, an injunction can issue, and in at least one case that we've called to the Court's attention, has issued that imposes a similar um, sort of uh, restriction um, there are differences, obviously, between the way injunctions are judged and the way statutes are judged, but that's some evidence that under the federal statute, it has been found necessary by courts pursuant to the statute to impose a no-approach, a, a small no-approach zone in order to protect against intimidation and, uh, and threats. This is not the floating bubble of Schenck or the no-approach rule of Madsen for several reasons. As, as has been noted, the target can't create a violation here, and the distance in question is 8 feet rather than 15. Um, in Madsen, while there was a no-approach rule that the Court rejected, there was, in the same case, a 36-foot absolute ban, which covered most of the uh, approach to the, to, the, uh, um, to the facility that the Court um, what the court upheld. The, the matter, the, uh, there was a discussion about whether this is content-based. This court has found many similar bans to be content-neutral. I understand there's an argument that there is um, some speech that's covered and some not, but the court in Grace held that the ban on displays was content-neutral in Heffron, that the ban on uh, uh, demonstrating, uh, that the ban on uh, distributing written materials was content-neutral. And, in fact, in Schenck and Madsen, it found that those injunctions were content-neutral. Excuse me. In the two cases you mentioned, did those bans refer to the content of the speech as this one does. It's only that speech that educates, that counsels, and so forth. The ban in grace around the Supreme Court is on uh, uh, flags and devices that call attention to an organization, uh, movement, or um, 
uh, there clearly uh, uh, there's a communicative requirement there that's quite similar to this. Presumably, a work of art on a flag would not qualify. Um, and uh, the bans in in Schenck and Madsen, the ones that were upheld as, as well as the ones that were uh, struck down, were on demonstrating, which again is this, is, is essentially what this uh, language captures. Um, and on the question whether we can uh, uh, um, look behind the, the words to its purpose, Justice Scalia, you spoke about the, the purpose of this. Um, first of all, the clear purpose of the Colorado legislature was to reduce the risk of violence and intimidation at health care facilities, not just at reproductive health care facilities and not just from those with one particular viewpoint. While it's true that the anti-abortion protests generated much of the activity that led to the statute, the legislature was clearly aware of and concerned about both reciprocal violence by pro-abortion protesters. If there were a sudden interest in the uh, automobile industry, could Colorado uh, have these uh, speech regulatory zones around every auto dealership? This isn't a zone. First, if exactly the same findings were made, obviously, it seems to me — You don't I, like that term, speech regulatory zone? That's what this is. Uh, no, it's an approach regulatory zone. And All I'd right. like to take right. issue with — But what about the hypothetical? Approach regulatory zone? Yes. What this statute prohibits is moving in on somebody. It doesn't — Not an approach regulatory. You can approach as close as you like so long as you don't speak. No, no that's not right. It, it's you only have the, the person who approaches to speak or to, or to hand a leaflet with, with who that, is prohibited. With that purpose, actually, I'd like to uh, — just on the words of the statute, what has to happen is an approach. The, uh, the advocacy aspect of the statute ha- is the purpose. It, you don't have to get as — With the intention of — With the intent. Of, you right. can with the intention with that intent of speaking. Without getting to the point of speaking. But you could yeah. do this just for auto dealerships? If there or were law a- offices? How about lawyers? Any law office? No. If there were a problem — And, and what, I'm, what I'm trying to find out is, is if this isn't a basis to say that this is content — Controlled and not content. That, that's obviously underlies the question. That's what I'd like you to address. No, it's not content control. It is facility protective. There is a problem at health care facilities, a problem of intimidation and violence. The because of the message that goes on there. No, actually, with respect to a great many messages, although there's one that perhaps is more common than others, uh, there is a problem. Uh, uh, the legislature is not required to act with respect to problems that don't exist. Um, and if you're hypothesizing a world in which people are uh, intimidating people from uh, uh, buying cars by coming up close to them in their face and, and, and uh, showing them pictures of automobile uh, accidents, then perhaps Colorado would want to do something and could do something like what it did here, which is to permit them to show those pictures and to permit them to give those messages, but to require them not to move in on somebody Closer than eight. Now, what about what about the consent requirement? Now, you know, we we allow people to prevent unwelcome speech in their homes. Uh, you can cancel, you know, uh, re- require mail not to be delivered. You can have a, a city ordinance saying, "I don't want any." Uh, uh, you, you need consent before hawkers can come to the door. But in the public forum, outside in the street, can 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 we have a law that that enables people to? To turn off unwelcome speech? Not to turn off unwelcome speech. May I answer? Um, Not to turn off unwelcome speech to repel unwanted close approaches. This is about a close approach and not about speech at all. Thank you, Ms. Underwood. Mr. Sekular, you have three minutes remaining. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice. With regard to the Free Access to Clinic Entrances Act, Justice O'Connor, it specifically exempts First Amendment activities. With regard to reliance on United States versus Grace on page 176 of this Court's opinion, I'm quoting, we also accept the government's contention not contested by appellees about the content of the speech. We are contesting that here. Mr. Sekulow, yes. am I wrong in thinking that there are, there's legislation that establishes quiet zones around hospitals, around schools, which would be much more restrictive than what's involved here, based on the character of the facility? Is that not so? You often see signs even that say quiet zones. I think the difference is here, a silent approach without any words to distribute a leaflet requires consent. Well, is it and it's not a quiet zone here that they're talking about. There's nothing, no pro- prohibition here that says right. you can't talk loud. But, but given the fact that there is a history 
of women in a very vulnerable, emotionally charged state in a difficult physical condition, and given the fact that using words like you can't harass and you can't uh, whatever those words are in Section 2 are very hard to interpret, could you say that having eight feet as the limit between my fist and your face, so to speak, helps the First Amendment? It makes clear what you can do and what you can't do, rather than every time getting into an argument about what constitutes harassment. Justice Breyer, this case, this particular statute is a criminal statute. It requires precision of regulation. An eight-foot prohibition here requiring consent, uh, we believe, violates the First Amendment. There is not a First Amendment health care exception. That's my very point. Why isn't it more precise to say eight feet than to say, in each case, we'll, lit- we'll, we'll, we'll litigate whether my waving my arm or something like that did or did not constitute harassment. I think for the exact same reason that this Court in Matson and in Shank rejected the health care exception to the First Amendment, I think it points to the situation in NAACP versus Claiborne Hardware. I'm sure the, the uh, gentleman that ran Claiborne Hardware would have rather not had those protesters out in front of his stores. And maybe he had a heart condition, and if he did, I don't think he can carry a sign that says, I've got a heart condition. But Mr. Sekulo, isn't there something different about a hospital? I mean, uh, wholly apart from the question of abortion clinics, haven't there been restrictions on speech activity? around schools. I mean, mostly the problem was not that they you couldn't have the restriction, but you couldn't favor one speaker. But this Court has also said in those same contexts, Mr. Chief Justice, my time has expired. Would the Court like me to respond? Briefly. The difference is there the question was, was the conduct going to aggravate what was going on inside? And because the courts there gave a narrowing construction that only when it, it violates what's going on inside or causes a problem, that there would be a violation. That's not the case here. Thank you, Mr. Seculo. The case is submitted.